Welcome to the Golden Age of Baseball with Eddie Robinson, baseball's oldest living player. Eddie was a four-time all-star first baseman, scout, coach, and front office executive during his amazing 65-year career. These podcasts will give the baseball enthusiast the opportunity to share a slice of baseball history with someone who actually lived it. This podcast is part two of Eddie and Betty's honeymoon trip around the world after the 1954-55 season. And now, here's Eddie Robinson. Tommy and Sue, we split up and uh, we went to uh, uh, India. It was our next big stop. We stopped a day in uh, Karachi, Pakistan, and uh, that was a very uneventful day. We didn't do much, just spent the day there, toured around, and then we went to uh, went to uh, India, and uh, this little town in India. It wasn't a big town, but it did have an airport, and it dropped us off there. It wasn't like a hotel, it was like a motel. And they were famous for their elephant rides. Uh, uh, American Express, of course, it helped us plan our trip. And uh, this is a town where they said, we'll ride an elephant. So uh, the next morning we got up at eight o'clock and got outside to take our elephant ride. And who did we run into but Tommy and Sue Byrne? We didn't know that they were going to be there, uh, but they were. And uh, and we got on the elephants, and there were four elephants. And we got on them, and uh, we took quite a long ride on the elephant. And it was an experience. And uh, I don't care if I ever ride an elephant again, but it was uh, kind of a fun thing to do. And uh, then we went back to the hotel and uh, spent the time together that day and had dinner together that night. And we both took off the next day. We were going by automobile and they were flying. And and uh, we were taking this uh, uh, automobile from, from this little town in, in India to Agra. A-G-R-A, Agra, Indiana, and that's where the Taj Mahal is located. And the Taj Mahal is a wonder of the world. Well, in order to get there, I don't think a plane flew from this little town we were in to uh, Agra. So Betty and I had a rented uh, car and a driver uh, uh, arranged by American Express. And we got in the car, and we started driving, and it was a long drive. I imagine it was about a six-hour drive. And on the, uh, along the way, on that drive, there was not a single time. I guess it was about 300 miles, or 250 miles. There was not a single time that there wasn't a camel train approaching us or one that we had just passed. It was the darnest thing you ever saw. I didn't know that there were that many camels around, but uh, they were, and uh, it was, it was. of course, you see one travel, camel train, you've seen them all, but uh, 
It was interesting to see it that one time. We got to Agra in the afternoon. Uh, we had scheduled uh, to see the Taj Mahal that night. The ideal time to see the Taj is uh, at nighttime. And, 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 of course, the best time to see it is by the full of the moon, when the moon is, uh, is lighting it. And, and that's when we were there. It was full of the moon. We were lucky in that regard. So uh, we checked into our hotel there in Agra, and uh, the driver took, picked us up and took us to the Taj that night after it got dark. And it was absolutely beautiful. It was, uh, there was a big moat that led from the road back to the Taj, and it had pretty clean water. Uh, the moat was about, oh, I guess 20 feet wide, and just beautiful and nice walk down both sides of it. And you, you had to walk to the Taj, and you walked there, and then they made you put uh, uh, sacks uh, on your on your feet, uh, they were like uh, well, they were cloth sacks, and they tied around your ankles so that you didn't make any noise uh, while you were going through the Taj because it's it, it, it echoes and and you don't want a lot of people would make a lot of noise, so they made you wear these sacks on your feet. Now, the Taj Mahal was, was built by the Shah Jahan of, of, that, of India. The, I guess he was the main man. Anyway, he built it for his wife, and it took 20,000 men 20 years to build the, Shah, the Taj Mahal. It has, it has marble in there that is carved delicately carved. Uh, you just It looks like lace is so delicate, delicately done. And they had a, a tomb for the Shah, Shah Jahan and his wife. And at one time they were inlaid with precious stones. I think the stones are from the England, from the crown of England. Uh, they had those on the embedded in their tombs. It had been a long, it was old, I don't know how old it was, but over time the, the stones had all disappeared. I don't know what happened to them. But that was a big thing. That was a big thing of our uh, trip around the world was seeing the Taj Mahal. The, we went back to our hotel, had dinner. Our rooms were sparse. Uh, we had twin beds, and each bed had a uh, mosquito net hung over it. Uh, the mosquitoes were bad, and uh, when you went to bed at night, you got in your, more like a bunk. You got in your bed and uh, closed the mosquito uh, netting, and you were there for the night. We got up the next morning and took a trip, took a plane to Bombay, uh, the big, big city, Bombay, and landed there and uh, 
Betty had uh, a classmate of hers who was uh, an Indian boy, and uh, she had been in some classes with him. They'd known each other very well. He came from a very wealthy family in, in India, and they lived in Bombay. And they had contacted each other, and we went there for dinner. And, and can you believe it? They had two servants, and, and they, the servants were there all the time. And the servants at night, when, it, when the work was done, and the dishes were all done, everything was cleaned up, they would roll out a mat and slept on the floor. No pillow. Just they rolled out a just a plain. It was a nice mat, but that's what they slept on. They got up the next morning and uh, prepared breakfast and got the family through the day. But uh, we went there for dinner. They had a sweet, a big house, but it was upstairs like a a big condo. And they, they, being up the top floor, they had access to the roof. And uh, you could go out on the roof and sunbathe if you wanted to in the daytime or just go up there and sit and have a drink, which we did uh, in the evening before dinner. Then a very embarrassing thing happened to us. Uh, these These servants had been preparing our dinner, they said, the preparation had been going on for five days, five days, and uh, and and they had that beautiful spread, and they must have had ten different dishes, and Betty and I could not eat one of them. They were they were vegetarian, and they were they were pretty in the dish, but when you put it on your plate and tried to eat it, you just couldn't. And uh, neither one of us could, and they un they seemed to understand. But we didn't eat any dinner that night. And then their, their custom is that in the master bedroom, the husband, husband and wife have in the master bedroom a nice swing. And uh, it's big enough and got a nice padding on it. And the husband lays on a swing, and the wife swings him at night after they retire to their bedroom. And she swings him as long as he wants, and then they go to bed. But uh, that was it for, for uh, India. Uh, we went back to our hotel after dinner that night. Uh, they had a driver took us back. And uh, the poverty, poverty was so great that uh, uh, people living in India would only have one possession, and that would be a basket, a big basket that they would use for work if they could get it the next day. And they would sleep on a on the sidewalk with their head in their basket. That was their pillow. And they, they did that so that uh, people wouldn't steal their baskets. We left um, Bombay the next day, and uh, we were headed for Istanbul, Turkey.
And uh, that was a nonstop flight, and we landed in Istanbul. Uh, we stayed in the Istanbul Hilton Hotel. We enjoyed uh, shopping. That's about all you can do in Istanbul. They, they have the shops uh, uh, where you can buy meerschaum pipes and, and things you can't get other places are sold at their market. And they have all kind of stalls in the market that sell various items. And I bought uh, four Meerschaum pipes while I was there. We saw where the Bosphorus uh, Sea empties into the Mediterranean. And when we left, we were on our way to Rome, Italy. And that was another nonstop flight. We landed in Rome and went to our hotel, which, uh, if my memory serves me right, uh, we stayed in the Roma Hotel, which was a big, beautiful hotel. We went to the Sistine Chapel at St. Peter's, and that was a wonderful, wonderful trip uh, to see uh, St. Peter's in Rome and to see St. Peter, a statue, which is just outside uh, the Vatican. So many people have kissed his foot that his toes are worn away from the kissing of his foot. And we, of course, went inside and saw the Sistine Chapel. Uh, we went to several museums. We were there, I think we were in Rome three days, and that's enough time to do a, see a lot of museums and and the Vatican and the St. Peter's and uh, eating some interesting restaurants. We were we were shopping one day. Uh, we were just walking down the street, and then there was a a very interesting Thai store. And Betty said, "Why don't we go in this Thai store? It looks interesting, and maybe we'll buy you a tie." So we did. We went in. I we hadn't been in there five minutes when I heard this voice in the back of the store. And I recognized it, and I said, Betty, Casey Stingle is in this store. <laughs> she, she looked at me like I was crazy. She said, what do you mean Casey's in this store? I said, well, listen. And she did. She heard his voice. She said, it sounds like Casey. And with that, Casey and Edna walked out of the back of the store. They couldn't believe that we were there. And we had had a little forewarning here in their voices, but we were delighted to see them. And we had a little visit. Turns out we're staying in the same hotel. And we we had dinner that night. We decided to have dinner together, so we had a, a delightful dinner at the Roma Hotel. Uh, and that was one of the highlights of the trip, was meeting Casey and Edna at that hotel. We went from there to um, Florence, and we went on the train. The trains, of course, are European trains. You you don't get on the train and walk down inside to your uh, to your private box or room or whatever it is. You enter it from the outside, and and it's very unique. It's really nice. You go, you walk out uh, down the loading platform to 
your room, which is uh, written shown on the door, and you open up and you you get into your private uh, uh, bedroom, so to speak. Anyway, I guess you guys are tired of hearing about our honeymoon, but it really was a interesting, wonderful honeymoon. But I'm going ahead and finish it up. Uh, we were in Florence three days, and uh, there was a, a statue. Uh, there was a park right outside our hotel in Florence, and uh, it had some famous statues in it, and one was the statue of Peter that uh, Michelangelo had done. It was really an interesting one, and I believe it, his was different than, I don't know who did the other uh, statue of him, but his hands were bigger than uh, than the other one. And uh, I didn't, of course, they both weren't there to compare, but uh, he did have very big hands. From, from Florence, we went to... Uh, Venice, Italy. That's one of the biggest surprises I had on a tour was uh, we 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 pulled into this big, uh, great big uh, train station in Venice, and uh, walked through this big lobby and out to the front of the train station, and these this big wide. Uh, swath of steps led right down to the water and no street that you you had to get uh, uh, somebody in a gondola to take you where you wanted to go so uh, we went down took our bags down and and loaded up and went to our uh, hotel which was the Gruenwald Hotel and it was on St. Mark's uh, island, uh, you might call it an island. It was uh, one block from St. Mark's Church and St. Mark's Square. And that's where you see the pictures of all the pigeons. It is, there's so many pigeons in, um, in, 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 that, in that place that you just can't believe how many there are. And Venice is, we went to, uh, we were only there a couple of days. We went to a glass blowing place that, that did very intricate work with glass and blowing glass and making uh, all sorts of little things, perfume jars and, and interesting little places, but you're not interested in that. You're interested in baseball. We're a long ways from baseball here. We, uh, we went from um, from Venice. We got on a train and and uh, went to um, Wolfsburg, Germany. And now uh, Wolfsburg, Germany, nobody ever heard of it. Particularly if you were in the United States, you didn't hear of it. But that was the home of the Volkswagen. The Volkswagen had become popular. In Germany, uh, just before the war and during the war, it was a German-made vehicle and was really popular 
when we got to Europe, we saw Volkswagens being driven all over the place and in every country we went to. So we went to Volkswagen, to Wolfsburg, and I had arranged before I left New York, I had bought a Volkswagen. And uh, I, I bought it for delivery at the, fa at the factory, at the plant in Germany. And so we went to the plant, uh, showed our credentials, and they delivered us our uh, little Volkswagen. And they took us on a tour of the plant, and they showed us uh, uh, what was going to be the Carmen Ghia, which was a sport model of the Volkswagen. And they hadn't finished it yet. It was still in the process of being made and, and tailor-made in one of their garages there. But it, you could see that it was going to be a fancy little car and uh, fun to drive. But we we bought that Volkswagen and uh, we 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 took off driving uh, through uh, through Germany, and uh, we went to uh, uh, Belgium, and down down into France, and to Paris. We drove through the Netherlands down to Paris, France, and uh, checked in a big hotel in Paris. And uh, we were in Paris four days. I, I, I missed one part of my trip. We, we uh, when we left, uh, I guess it was Venice, it was getting to be Christmas time. And we went from Venice to Kitzbühel, Austria. Kitzbühel, Austria. And uh, Kitzbühel was famous for skiing. They had had the Winter Olympics there one year, and Kenny Saylor, a, a wonderful skier, had won five gold medals. It was just a neat little town. Uh, all the people wore their their Tyrolean coats and hats. And it, it was fun. Betty and I uh, went skiing. We went. We joined the beginner ski class and we took lessons and we had a good time we were there three days and we spent christmas there and we had a little christmas tree which someone had given us and we kind of set the christmas tree up we went to catholic mass at midnight and uh had our christmas in kitzbühel austria then we went to wolfsburg germany then we went through the netherlands and down to paris france and uh, we went to the Louvre in Paris, and and I got a little sick. I I got a cold, and uh, it turned into, I guess, almost the flu. But I, I was at, I was in bed a couple of days in Paris, and unable to go around. Uh, we had a a friend who lived in Paris, and he took Betty on tours of places. I was able to go to the Louvre, and I saw Mona Lisa there. And then we, we went over, we took old Volksy and uh, got on the ferry boat and went over to London, uh, England. And uh, we went to our hotel there. It was very foggy when we arrived and we had trouble finding our hotel, but we finally did. We were in London, I think, three or four days. 
And uh, then we departed for the United States and we shipped the Volkswagen home. So Betty and I arrived back in uh, New York a little, little bit after the first of the year. And we'd, we had been gone almost exactly uh, three months. I think we we got back on the, uh, the 7th of January, and I think we we left on the 7th of October. So we had a wonderful honeymoon. Uh, I When we were at the plant in uh, Wolfsburg, Germany, and I saw how popular uh, the, the Volkswagen car was, and how inexpensive it was to operate and what longevity it had, I thought, wouldn't it be nice to have a dealership in the United States? And I went to the office and told them that uh, we were on a trip, but when I got back to New York, I'd like to find out about getting a dealership. And uh, they, they said, well, our dealerships have been given out here, but just uh, we just moved our office to New York to give dealerships out there. And as soon as you get back to New York, you go to the Volkswagen office there and uh, you probably be able to get a dealership wherever you want it because we just opened up in New York. So I did. I When we got back to New York, I went to the Volkswagen uh, office and told them that I wanted a dealership in Baltimore, Maryland. Well, I was too late. They said, just last week, we let the dealership go from uh, Maryland, Virginia, and Washington, D.C. So I was one week late, and I might not have continued to be a baseball player if I'd gotten a dealership. That would have been very, very lucrative and a good business to be in. But we kept old Volksy. We drove old Volksy for 10 years. And uh, I finally sold uh, sold it to my secretary for $100. I think I had paid $5,000 for it in New York before we went on our trip. And uh, it, it was worth every penny of it. Uh, when I first got it, and we drove around the states around Baltimore. Uh, you didn't see many Volkswagens, and when you did, uh, you'd honk at each other, wave to one another. And you know, uh, you guys know what how popular Volkswagens became. Uh, a couple of ball players, Mickey Vernon and Gene Woodling, saw how much fun I was having with it and how good it was, and they both bought one. So. Uh, some major league ball players own Volkswagens. I'm gonna, I'm gonna close off now. You've heard enough out of me. I, I, I think I've talked enough to, uh, to have two podcasts. Anyway, that's up to Craig, Greg, Ricks, to sort it out and put it together. And uh, and and when I come back, I'm gonna go into the 1956 season. And that's not a very good year for me. 1956 is the start of a, really start of a new life for me. But I'll tell you about it. 
And I, I, I appreciate you guys. I, I don't know how many of you are sticking with me, but I'm telling you uh, what my life as a professional baseball player has been like. And I hope, it, I hope it's interesting for you. Thank you for listening to The Golden Age of Baseball with baseball legend Eddie Robinson. If you have a question for Eddie or would like to suggest a topic, please email eddie.robinson65 at yahoo.com. And for an even deeper dive into the golden age of baseball, read his autobiography, Lucky Me, My 65 Years in Baseball, which you can find on goodreads.com and on Amazon. The Golden Age of Baseball with Eddie Robinson was produced by Greg Ricks. Mark Robinson is our technical advisor, and Abby Robinson is our podcast coordinator. (laughs) 